And there was all this pushback from the news media who were starting their own web pages, right? And then everybody had a web page. And so it was like, no, you just go to all the different web pages and there's no filter point. There's no portal. There's no one, you know, point of entry. You just go wherever you want to go. But because we can go wherever we want to go, and because there's so much out there to go, and it becomes overwhelming, so we rely on portals, on aggregators, on things like social media sites, where they gather it all together and package it nicely and feed it to us. It's, it's literally a feed. It is no longer going out there into the world and exploring and finding things. And uh, I can't decide if that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. But I can't really put my finger on other than silos. What up, y'all, and welcome to Cloud Kaleidoscope, episode 16, Thought Silos. My name is Wilton Zachary Cloud. This is my podcast. This week, Gina and I are back in the lair to discuss the uh, healthcare repeal, debate the actual nature of money's effect in politics, and see if we can't get to the bottom of uh, Gina's beef with YouTube. So all of that and your favorite animated personal assistant all coming up, and I'll talk to you again at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's working. We're good. That will work. That works. Magic. The magic of wiring and radio. Well, this isn't radio anymore. This is like purely digital, huh? I mean, the two aren't mutually exclusive. Ooh, ding. <laughs> Fries are done. Let me uh, take care of that here. Settings. Mute. I mean, I could jump in your shit, but to be honest, it was really Russian roulette as to who that was going to happen to first. <laughs> For real, this person, oh my. Okay, I'm just not even, somebody else can deal with him. Yeah, like seriously, dude. Right? Dude, hi! Here we are! What up? Long time no see. Actually, I was over here just last week, but we haven't done a podcast in a while. Accurate. When was the last time we talked? It was a Christmas special. Oh, we haven't done, we haven't done this since the Christmas special. Accurate. <laughs> Dude. I've had a year already, so I'm sorry guys, I've been out of it, I've been gone, I've been taking a siesta. <laughs> I hibernated for the winter. Uh, that is a thing, especially here. Yeah. I got super depressed after the election, I'll be honest. And, uh, Christmas helped a little bit. 
Yeah, but so like now you're back and we can go ahead and talk about uh, healthcare votes. Right? Holy banana peels. <laughs> no, don't. Don't ever slip on a banana peel because, you know, chances <laughs> are you won't have any healthcare to take care of whatever happens. Dude, okay. The house finally, after trying for nine almost years, or finally was able to pass a bill that might actually get put into law in some shape or form that attempts to repeal Obamacare. Yeah, and of course the way you trail off there as you're describing the, what happened really says it all about the <laughs> the ambiguity of the situation. <laughs> what has actually become even less ambiguous, though, because... The Senate has indicated very clearly that they are going to start from scratch. They may look at this bill to look for ideas, but they are not using any part of it as a basis. I just, I kind of feel like they should just go ahead and do a conference committee. Mm-hmm. Like, we know this is going to have to be back and forth at this point. We know we have two bills through the House. We know where the votes are. It's going to be hard to find a bill that can actually pass both houses. Nah, man, slow roll the shit out of this. Let the fucking Senate bicker and bitch about what it's going to take to get 51 for as long as they can. As long as they can. And then, you know, turn up the pressure on them at town halls all along the way and see what you can do to water down whatever it is that does eventually pass the Senate to the point where the conservative end of the House will never touch it. Right? Like, that's the... Make it unconferenceable, really, is the only thing to be done at this point. Obstructionism. Well, sure. I mean... I mean, they are in charge, so I don't care now that they're the ones being obstructionist. I'm so us and they when it comes to party politics in the Congress. It's like my version of football. You know, like some people get all... Oh, I've said much the exact same thing. (laughs) Red and blue sports teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's that whole aspect of it, for sure. So, yeah. um, Healthcare might be on its way out. (laughs) I mean, I do think there's that path to just stall it. Um, But it's a really narrow margin. We're like talking about two or three votes. I mean... It's a lot of politicking. Are you talking about in the Senate? Yeah. I mean, you'll have to, I mean, the point is to turn up the heat on the people in the middle and make sure they understand that the, that this decision can't be made in a vacuum. You know what I mean? You can't just cast the vote to make your buddies happy with you in this case. You gotta look out for number one. I mean, that's politics. That's, but what, that's if, what it means. Right. So how many senators can the insurance industry buy out between now <laughs> and however long we stretch this battle out? I mean, they do have call me naive, way but more money than any other constituency. Call me naive, but I think that for senators, it's a lot, a lot less about what money can you give them. You know what I mean? Like, they don't want to be seen having stumbled right they don't want to make a very public embarrassing showing of themselves and ultimately a lot of them have the the republican senators have the exact same issue that the 
Republican moderates in the House did, which is that, you know, they look at the ways that the bill is written hits seniors and stuff in their core constituencies and get a little bit squeamish. And it's natural that that is quite appropriate for them to do so. Um, you know, and just by the nature of the way the Senate is organized, um, most of them do have to be some flavor of moderate in order to sit in that seat in the first place. So I'm not so saying they're more reasonable than Trump supporters. I'm not saying that it's impossible that some bill ends up getting passed in the Congress. I'm just saying that to get through the Senate, it seems really unlikely that it, it's something that the conservative end of the house, the freedom caucus can actually end up supporting. You know what I mean? Like the, the coalition that passed bill in the house won't be the one that passes the bill that reconciles the two pieces of legislation. If indeed one does. So you think there's some key provisions there'll be deal breakers in the Senate that will drive away the freedom caucus in the end. I mean, it's hard to imagine how that could not be true. Right. it's like, that's, that's the conflict that stands before us right now is the conflict that was there already, right? It was the, what kept the, there from being a vote two times already. Um, and what's amazing is the way that the house moderates ended up falling into line. I mean, ultimately you're talking about the authoritarian party, I suppose. So whiffing becomes a lot easier. I mean, there was a lot of mob mentality <laughs> in that vote count. I mean, it's one thing to want a win, you know, some W to come home with a dub in some way. Um, I get it, but... To not be on the wrong side of history. Well, I mean, and this is not the dub that many of the, you know, what the news is calling the moderate Republican House mm-hmm. members... Wanted. This is not the dub that they wanted, but it's the dub they got. <laughs> It sucks. I don't like this bill. It's just like welfare for insurance corporations. Well, I mean, call me a bad liberal, but isn't that basically exactly what Obamacare was to begin with? I mean, that's a really powerful lobby, and he had to appease them. So it was a compromise between a single-payer system and deregulation in its entirety, which is a, seems like what we're heading towards with this kind of trend. The thing that struck me from the New York Times article was this premium hike of 30% for folks who don't maintain insurance. Yeah, who have like a 63 or something day gap in their insurance coverage. Like, People who change jobs all the time, people who work seasonally, people who are just on the edge of being able to afford their premiums and maybe have to drop them when they get in a car crash and they have other bills to play or like those are the people who can at least afford to keep insurance if it's 30% more expensive. Uh, that's funny. So the bill like <laughs> maintains some sort of uh, version of the enforced it- compliance. And, uh, but instead of actually it being a tax that goes to the government, it's, uh, it's a surcharge on your premiums that goes to the health industry. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Convenient. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> well, that makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> Jackasses. I mean, for real. 
You know, what's bewildering to me about uh, Republican policymaking, you know, in this sort of like, you know, not just with Obamacare, but with the aggression towards Medicare and Social Security and the whole nine yards is that it's their core constituencies that depend most on these services, these programs to begin with. I don't see where, I mean, <laughs> it's just that, I mean, okay, it's what's typical of Trump supporters. We've been saying this. They do not vote in their own self-interest. They don't understand the system, how the system is impacted by what they say they want Trump to do. I Repeal mean, Obamacare. Yeah. Why do we want to do that? We want to do that because that's what Trump said we wanted to do. Like, these people, for the most part, have only a vague idea of what it is that they're supporting. Trump doesn't even know what he's supporting. So I think that, uh, you know, this whole thing that, uh, it's something that liberals say a lot is like they voting against their own best interest or their, their own self interest. Um, I don't actually agree with that. I actually think that they're just identifying different interests than you are. You know, you might be identifying their, you know, physical well being as their best interest. <laughs> But they might be identifying their sense of vindication as their own best interest. You know what I mean? And so if they vote in order to satisfy their sense of vindication, then aren't they voting in their own best interest as they see them? And you sitting here and saying they're voting against their best interest, you know, because they're voting against their potential health care. I mean, like, you're just... I'm being trying to judgy and liberally paternalistic. <laughs> I think there's an element of liberal paternalism in that <laughs> statement. Uh, you know, I think that, and part of it is just like, I tend to think that people do act in their own self-interest and that's primarily what they do. It's just that they're not defining it in a real logical way. They're defining it based on their whims in the moment. I mean, that's a very realist, rationalist. Like, <laughs> I am voting in my self-interest of sleeping an extra hour this morning, even though I know I have to turn my ballot in on the way to work and I haven't filled it out yet. <laughs> and I won't have time to read the voter's manual. I'll just have to pick randomly based on the shape of the names on the ballot. But that's in my own best interest because I got to sleep an extra hour. I'm sorry, what's your position? <laughs> yes, everybody acts in their own best interest in any given moment. I choose to sit here and twirl my hair because I like the way the curls feel between my fingers. It's a tactile response. It is in my best interest to enjoy that tactile response in this moment. No, you're acting against your best interest because you're damaging <sighs> your hair. It's actually good for my hair. <laughs> Conditions it. Gets the oil spread through it. <laughs> Pulls out the dead ends. You're twisting it. I'm twisting it. The twisting puts stress on the strands, yes. Breaks it off. Breaks it off. It breaks it off in a very Darwinian fashion. <laughs> the broken ends, the dead ends, they fall away, leaving what is young and strong to survive another day. Oh, the inherent natural selection process in hair care. Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe these people who don't realize that they do need to think a step ahead. 
These people. These people, like me. Like, if I only just didn't twirl my hair, what? I know, bad example. What's the point of your argument that these people are acting in their self-interest, so I should not be... That that's an invalid critique or response. Because your original question was like, why are these people supporting something that hurts them? No, I gave the opposite question, which is why are these elected leaders doing something that directly hurts their core constituency? Are they, they, are they simply that confident that these people, as you put it, will not, um, will not see through? What's going on here? I read somewhere that I, that there's this theory that people don't recognize their own place in the world accurately. That everybody thinks of themselves as just a little bit better off socioeconomically. Yeah, but still, you're, you're still talking are. about the conservative constituency. I'm right. trying to talk about the conservative electeds. Like, oh. what is their what is their logic? They're they're doing something that directly it goes against. Like they're taking a real chance that, you know, seniors across the country are going to be like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I don't feel the need for social and cultural vindication that much that I would be willing to have that big a cut on my Medicaid. Um, you know, they're taking an awful big risk with this whole like strategy. Like, that's their votes. You know what I mean? Like the traditionally, the thing you do in politics is that you take care of, you know, like you dance with the ones you that brung you, right? You like, you take care of the constituencies that got you into office. And so considering how much they rely on old people and how much old people rely on these programs, how come they're so, have so much animosity towards these programs? Well, I will say, first of all, that Social Security and Medicare are not on the table at all, right? So Medicaid only applies to the very poor and the disabled. And we don't care about the poor, whether they're old or young or sick. They're poor. They don't have any money to contribute to the system. They often don't vote. I think that's part of it. Well, I'm not necessarily talking about... In general? I mean, like these Paul Ryan types, they're... They're against these programs, even the ones that you mentioned, Social Security and Medicare, not Medicaid. It just, you know, and I'm not necessarily trying to press you for an answer because there really is no good answer. There really is no answer. It makes no sense. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, there's the very cynical answer that the other people who are supporting him don't like those groups and don't so don't care about those groups, and so he has to not care in order to get the money. And the votes that come with those people. Okay. Whoever those might be. <laughs> Good. The uh, the image of politics as one hand handing over a pile of cash and another hand making a vote. Yeah. Got, got it. I think there's a lot of stuff in this bill that I got from reading that is very clearly the insurance company directing policy. And that is the image you just described. One hand handing money to a politician and the politicians sending a vote. So you the don't hand. think that these politicians believe that that is the right vote? Already? I don't think they care. I think they're too caught up in having to support the right people and having to be on the right team. No, I'm just saying, like, if you can, like, take away any money out of the equation in, in this hypothetical, 
the this legislation is up this exact legislation is up before them you don't think that these republican house members would cast the same votes regardless if there was nobody lobbying them one way or the other they were just voting their conscience i, I said no money so let's stick with that there's no money i mean they they still have buddies and they still have the opinions of their buddies in their ear don't you think they would still cast the exact same votes they cast some of them yes cuz some of them are zealots some of them, yes, because they got money for their districts out of this. I said eliminate money entirely. <laughs> so let's go ahead and eliminate but see, pork that's as well. Possible. This is politics we're talking about. This is Congress. This is how you. Let's just up presume the money. they had no pork in the game whatsoever. They didn't get any pork. I mean, I think some of them would change their votes. Yeah, some of them would probably have a different persuasion if they weren't being influenced by the money game. I think that's crazy. Mm. I think that. Assholes is assholes, <laughs> and you don't have to pay them in order to get them to be assholes. They like doing it. These particular assholes wouldn't necessarily be there, though, if they didn't have a lot of people with money supporting them. So, I think that... They're still beholden the to the money. If they started singing a different tune, the money would dry up. So, your entire response to my hypothetical, let's take the money out of the situation, what do you think they would do, is to say... Yeah, I'm just having a hard time taking oh, the money out of the hypothetical. But they're still there bought and paid for it's it's a little too fantastic i think there are plenty of people with lots of integrity in congress who have very philosophical reasons and constituency-based reasons and the interest of their constituents at heart i don't think all of them are some of them are there for the money or because of the money or are beholden to the money to achieve their own ends whatever those might be i uh and I don't think you can take lobbying and fundraising and all of that out of the equation. With the no, I don't now. think that you have to. I think that all you have to do is recognize that it's actually reverse of what you're saying. People give money to candidates who will vote the way they want them to vote. They don't give money to candidate to politicians, seated politicians, in order to get them to vote a specific way. They specifically give money to the people who they know are going to vote the way that they want to vote. That's the way it works. It goes in that direction. You support the people that you know are already going to vote the way you want. So you don't even have to call them and say, hey, I want to make sure we're on the same page on this vote here because you already know what they're going to do and they already know what you want them to do and you never have to have a conversation about it. That's the way it works. Right. And then when you don't follow that... And that particular group withdraws their support and you lose the next election. You learn and everybody around you learns that when your biggest donor sends a letter endorsing a particular piece of legislation that if you don't support it, they're going to withdraw their support for you. That kind of shit is influential. And more to the point, there doesn't need to be a letter in order to lose somebody's financial support in a future election. I mean, look, if you're an asshole and you want to cast a non-asshole vote on topic A in this legislative session and you burn a donor, so what? Cast an extra assholey vote on topic B and get extra money from the assholes in the B industry. No, and I I think Congress people's staff make those kind of calculations on a daily basis. I think it is extremely rare for any one politician to be 
as beholden to one specific person or business or corporation as you're portraying. I mean, you want to say beholden to special interests in the aggregate. Sure. It's kind of a, a pat phrase that doesn't really mean a lot, but I guess it's kind of true. But at the same time, these people cast asshole votes because they're assholes, <laughs> not because they've been paid by other assholes to do it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, they are assholes. Right. Either scenario. <laughs> right. They just, you know, don't like for people to be helped. And I don't like people to be healthy. <laughs> you know, the other thing, they don't like people to have money. Right. I One of the things I read today was that um, since the Affordable Care Act, personal home, personal bankruptcies have almost halved. Right. And there's some other reasons why contributing, but it's like in dramatic. Right. Like that doesn't happen. Um, but this article was quoting experts who were saying it was associated in large part with the fact that under Obamacare, people didn't have huge, all of a sudden debilitating debt from hospitals as a result of car accidents or random unexpected illnesses. So they didn't have to declare bankruptcy. <sighs> Big deal. It's a big deal. That's money left in the economy. That's people's lives not ruined for the rest of their life. Right. That's a real impact. That's 50% of the outstanding debt in this country being, well, not all of it, but a good chunk of it, being not having to be written off the books. I mean, that ultimately means the hospitals are getting paid. There's another element to Obamacare that I always liked in terms of like a sort of unexpected social result, which is that a lot of people who were mostly on part-time employment in order to have access to some sort of benefits um, just went ahead and stopped having a job. The idea that, you know, all these people who had a job that basically didn't want one, you know what I mean? It or didn't actually need one. Right. It didn't really need one. Only Except needed for one benefits. because of this, you know, this arbitrary and bullshit reason that we apportioned healthcare through the employment system for no good reason. You know, they could just quit. They could just stop doing it. They should, they could stop taking up a, a slot in the workforce. You know what I mean? With somebody who didn't really care to be there and didn't have a lot of so and so called skin in the game. Right. You know what I mean? Like open and, up that spot. Right. And in terms of the economics of the situation, you know, it's a win for the economy, right? And it's like it really invigorates the workforce to have all these people who are just basically kind of stumbling through their employment for a dumb reason. I mean, not having health care is not a dumb reason, but... No, the dumb reason is, is that they wouldn't have health care if they if didn't have, the job. have a job. Right. right. Um, yeah, I mean, that opens up so much. It opens up job opportunities for people who really want those jobs. It opens up time for those people to go and do other things to be creative or work on themselves or support their families in other ways. That's all value add to the economy. Yeah, man. They can all start their own YouTube channels. I mean, don't get me started on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, okay. So here's my YouTube rant. <laughs> I've been ranting about YouTube a lot lately. <laughs> I've been thinking about those YouTube response videos where, like, someone, some activist films 
say, a protest or a riot or something, um, and makes a commentary and is outraged. And then another person, maybe a men's rights activist or something, uh, posts another video responding to the other one about how they're so terrible. They like do this point counterpoint and, and it occurred to me, it's like these people are frustrating to me because I had these debates in a graduate school seminar in the late nineties, <laughs> mid nineties. Um, but that's what it is. That's a forum. Like these are people who are having, you know, a very not articulate, but substantive discussion about complex social issues and they're doing it in a point counterpoint kind of fashion not unlike talking heads do on sunday mornings with politics or you and i just sat here and did with healthcare reform um and that's great because it's so accessible everybody has their own youtube channel everybody can have their space uh and it opens up for a lot of creativity and a lot of blowhards and there's a lot of noise. And there's so much out there. And how do you weed through it all? And how do you find what's good? And you can't. So you just find the ones that you agree with. Because we all like listening and talking to things that we agree with. And we end up in these little bubbles. And, and this is not a new th thought or a new concept. People have been talking about this since the election. but Because everybody has their own sources that they get. And it, re it made me recall something else that I heard in college. Was when the web was first starting and Netflix and AOI were fighting or were marketing themselves as the portals of information for the future, that in the future people would get all their information through one particular portal on this new thing called the internet. And the competition was to see which company would be that portal. And there was all this pushback from the news media who were starting their own web pages, right? And then everybody had a web page. And so it was like, no, you just go to all the different web pages and there's no filter point. There's no portal. There's no one, you know, point of entry. You just go wherever you want to go. But because we can go wherever we want to go and because there's so much out there to go and it becomes overwhelming. So we rely on portals, on aggregators, on Things like social media sites where they gather it all together and package it nicely and feed it to us. It's, it's literally a feed. It is no longer going out there into the world and exploring and finding things. And uh, I can't decide if that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. But I can't really point my finger on. Other than silos. Like just the notion that <laughs> thought silos are a terrible, horrible thing. So, you know, maybe that's enough in itself. I mean, I kind of feel like we've talked about this before a little bit, mm -hmm. but like, I really think that it's a recurring theme in my brain. I feel like it's like, uh, this imagined heyday of intellectual rigor in the news media. Um, I think it's full of shit. And basically all you're talking about is more people all belonging to the same thought silo and the marginalization and demonization of any other thought silos that there might be out there that are existing through some sort of underground means of communication. That's not better. You know what I mean? Like maybe what we have now isn't the best, right? But... I would argue that it's too disparate. Maybe. Um, 
and the reality of it is, is that AOL and all these other ones that were trying to do it back then were essentially right. Like some huge margin of the ad revenue on the internet goes to two companies, Facebook and Google. Mm-hmm. No, and that's kind of my point that like that notion was laughed at in the early 90s. And in fact, it was prophetic. The culture of the internet in the early days and then translating into whatever residue of that was still there once access to the, the internet was, was became more democratized. Um, you know, that there was a sort of rebel sort of underground element to the ethic of the internet in the first place. And the idea that somebody was going to be able to corral the internet and make it so that people would have to come to them to get their daily news and weather and sports. Maybe that was always perfectly reasonable, right? But what I don't think that was uh, anticipated was how readily and willingly we would rush to these aggregators to help us sift through what is there and the, it, they provided valuable service i love my google <laughs> dude i do everything through my google google is the overlord i also spend an inordinate amount of time on facebook through my chrome google browser well sure i mean you have to brand your entire experience i suppose i mean i love it i i, I despise it but it is also very user-friendly <laughs> and has all the things i need all in one place it's also made like the the digital uh, entertainment platforms kind of like a pain and ass to manage. Yeah. You know, like what show and or movie is on Netflix this month? Is it on Hulu? Did does, does Disney own it and they took it back and they're only streaming it on their site now? Or is it? I mean, I've pretty much given up on <laughs> following any one particular show <laughs> because I just wait until it's all done. And I figure out where it is, and I marathon it. Because pretty soon or later, it's going to be gone, and I will be on like the middle of the third episode in the last season, and it's gone. And I don't have access to the services moved to. You know, and so it's really kind of interesting that, you know, here we are. We, we've we reached a sort of um, a la carte promised land with our audiovisual entertainment. Yeah, dude, like, music and entertainment is thriving on the internet because there are different venues. But it's just as much of a pain in the ass for the end consumer as the cable companies were saying it was going to be. I mean, okay, yes. (laughs) But it's better content than the cable companies were giving us. That is accurate. I could definitely see it being true that you are just always going to have to spend more in order to get better TV. Like... You can't splinter the audience enough so that Netflix can make four Marvel superhero TV shows and dozen other similarly niche genre-specific television shows. You're never going to be able to splinter the audience enough to make that possible without paying a little bit more. Right. That shit costs money, dude. I can see that being so. And then you throw every other player into the mix from, you know, Hulu to Amazon to goddamn PlayStation Network. And it's... It's confusing. It is rather bewildering trying to figure out exactly what it is that you're trying to follow. I mean, for me, it's a budget thing, too. Like, 
there's only so many $15 bills a month that right. I can handle. Right. Like, so I have an Amazon membership because that gets me dog food delivered to my door when I'm sick. Man in the High Castle. And some rotating selection of movies, right? Oh, yeah. They have other stuff, too. Right, but so. Man in the High Castle is definitely the highlight right now for me off of Amazon Prime. I'm also finally watching Westworld. Well, see, now you need an Echo. You need to bring Alexa into your life. Who's Alexa? <laughs> Alexa is the personal assistant associated with the Amazon Echo. So you could all go all in on the Amazon ecosystem. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm not. You're in- already a Prime, Prime member. I'm so not into personal assistance. Like, I always turn off the little paperclip guy when he pops up. I turn up one of my websites that I frequently... Oh, Okay, okay. I'll thank you not to compare Alexa to Clippy. <laughs> but Clippy was the original. <laughs> He's the grandfather of all electronic personal assistants. How dare you, madam? I dare. How dare dare you i turned clippy off on the very first version of word that he appeared in the very first time he popped up and i've not had a conversation with him since he was cute he was fucking unhelpful as and i don't know if he's very helpful anymore either but he did pop up the other day on a new machine that i got at work and i was like go back to your little square in the bottom corner and stay there (laughs) god damn it clippy yeah, but no, I I mean, I guess Alexa's cool. I don't know. I've never met her. Siri's supposedly nice, too. Not a, not a big fan. <laughs> not my jam. Yeah, so Westworld is interesting. My fascination with AI and um, storytelling and role-playing stories, different alternative endings, choose-your-own-adventure. It's all tied in there. I haven't, I'm not very far into it yet, though, so no spoilers. Sheena You don't get to like start the thing That people were super into like 10 months ago And then be like no spoilers You just gotta like Really watch it on the down low (laughs) Like (laughs) You gotta gotta binge that shit quick And then be done with it And then be like oh by the way I finished I finished watching Westworld The other day and then we'll go oh you haven't watched that yet Oh, and then they, they can't And then we it. can have a conversation yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> now, somebody, the person I'm watching it with said that the other day too. He's like, we really got to finish this so we can actually talk about it. Like, <laughs> they're just bursting <laughs> at the seams to actually talk about it with me and, and but can't. Cause evidently there's more to come. <sighs> All right. Well, party foul there. As usual, Gina is the last to figure out the thing. We'll get there. Hey, man. That's positively recent. For me, exactly. yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> this, my birthday week was this last week or month, so I'm feeling particularly old these days. Yeah, that's because you're like super old. I know, right? So. I'm like. That's why. Halfway through four-fifths of a century. <laughs> and then some. Two score and three years. I mean, I remember when my dad was 40, and I'm older than that now, and I thought my dad was an old man when he was 40, so I'll own it. I still get carded when I go places. When that stops happening on a regular basis, then I'll feel really old. By that measure, I should have started feeling old, um, like at 19. I mean, sucks to be you. (laughs) (laughs) A full beard goes a long way. True. True story. 
All right. Well, it was good talking with Eugenia. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Good. We're going to do this more regularly. It's okay. on the calendars. Sweet. It won't be as long. I'm on the upswing from my post-election dive, hopefully. You rolled back the rock. I mean, kind of. Also, the sun is out. It, that helps. But I also, I'm feeling pretty positive about things. Like, this bill sucks, right? But there's some good things going on. The budget bill that passed, there's some collaboration going on in Congress in unexpected ways. There's lots of people engaged. We've all kind of gotten over the shock and are, like, putting our nose to the grindstone to figure out how to actually do this thoughtfully as far as a resistance movement that means something. At least that's what I see on my news feeds and my various... Thought silos. Thought silos. Yes, exactly. My thought silo <laughs> is being very proactive these days. So that's helping me climb out of my post-election despair. Right on. Did I mention the sunshine? Yeah, I mean, that's cool and all. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Alright, see All right. you next week Bye But if you try to kill me instead You won't see because you're infantile And the pyramids at you drop a sphinx on your head Then when I tell you you're dead You won't believe me because you're in denial The words of the government have never been did to me That is why we'll make them trouble and fear when we storm in the streets Make sure the freedom is no longer under But it, I get at the end of the year when we fight for religion In the place that we live in to liberate women and children We give them a reason to live every day To freedom I'll gladly pay yeah. All right, that's the episode, y'all. Thanks a lot for listening. Cloud Kaleidoscope is recorded in the Sylvan environs of Portland, Oregon. It can be heard on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you want to get up with me, you can always reach me by email at cloudkaleidoscopepodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram just by searching Cloud Kaleidoscope. To go out today, guys, there's really only one option. Today, the day this episode is being released, May 12th, 2017, is the 50th anniversary of the release of Are You Experienced by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Oh my god, y'all. I mean, I don't think I have to go too far in trying to convince everybody that this is an amazing record, that this is a hugely influential album I mean, it's in the Library of Congress. It's on all the lists of the top albums of all time. It's it's a grouping of songs that are not just great, but are also hugely influential and incredibly popular. That's not a combination that you see all the time. You usually have to settle for at max two of the three. So, 50 years, y'all. May 12th, 1967. The day this album was released. So which track am I going out with, though? Um, I decided on the first song, on the first pressing of the album, and that's Foxy Lady. But I'm giving you a live version from the Miami Pop Festival in May of 1968. And uh, largely because, you know, this album, it looms so large in my musical consciousness that every beat every strain of the studio version is so familiar to me that uh, I think it's good to remember from time to time that there are alternative versions. And that used to really drive me crazy because it's too much to keep track of. But 
you don't have to keep track of everything. And it's amazing to have a fresh perspective on an old favorite. So with that, Foxy Lady by the Jimi Hendrix Experience, Miami Pop Festival, May of 1968. Happy 50th anniversary. Are you experienced? See y'all next time. Foxy Lady.